Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Now Hear Me Out. My name is Harry Berholtz, and I'm here with my dad, Randy Berholtz. And we are so excited to be back podcasting and you know chatting with you guys today. We are still practicing social distancing. You know, we haven't hung out and recorded one on one next to each other like we usually do for these podcasts, and uh, we definitely miss each other. But you know, trying to flatten the curve and do our best so that we can all get back out there and live our lives uh, as soon as we can. But yeah, Dad, do you want to talk about our guest that we have with us today? Yeah, we are so excited to today to have Greg Gandrud. And Greg is the uh, treasurer of the California State Republican Party, uh, all-around solid Republican, uh, fighting the good fight in uh, um, in, uh, in a number of cases. Uh, Greg is a is a CPA by training. Uh, he he uh, he handles well. He he supervises and handles the uh, uh, the treasury aspects of the. Uh, uh, of the state political party. And uh, as some of you may know, California has one of the largest Republican parties in the world. Um, and so it's a, it's a Herculean task, and we have a great guy for it. And so, Greg, uh, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, tell us a little bit about what, uh, what motivates you. Well, thank you, Randy, and thank you, Harriet, for having me on. Um, I was born in California in 1961, um, pretty much lived my whole life in Southern California. I was an exchange student when I was a senior in high school. I lived in Norway for a whole year, and then I went on to um, I, went, I went to community college my freshman year of college, and then I went to USC for three years and graduated with honors from the uh, School of Business there with an emphasis in financial management. I guess I've always been interested in politics. My dad's family was very active in politics in Minnesota, so I heard a lot about um, you know the importance of public service growing up. My, my dad's grandfather was an assembly member and a senator in Minnesota. And then my dad's father was uh, a city attorney, county attorney, and then elected judge. And his brother was assistant secretary of state. So I, so anyway, I was raised, you know, really value public service. And I've always pretty much been a Republican, except I took a little detour into the Libertarian Party for a couple of years. I read Atlas Shrugged and uh, I got connected to the Libertarian Party. And I ended up being chairman of the Santa Barbara County Libertarian Party and started getting really active. Um, and some local Republican Central Committee members um, recruited me to switch back to the Republican Party. I ended up on the Central Committee for Santa Barbara County's Republican Party and ended up being chairman of the Santa Barbara County Republican Party and ended up getting elected to the board of the California Republican Party as a regional vice chair. That was about nine years ago. And uh, then I was just elected treasurer about a year ago. Well, Greg, you, you know, uh, outside of the state, party politics in California. What else are you interested in? I hear that that there's a really, uh, you know, exciting and interesting political battle you have. I guess it's a, it's with a local school district. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes. So some concerned parents contacted me because they knew that I had some political experience and also some nonprofit experience. I've served on several nonprofit boards and uh, they contacted me to see if I could help them with a particular issue. So 
Um, I did not realize that this had been going on uh, to this extent in our schools, but um, for about 10 years, the school district has been paying, um, at first it was you know like $100,000 a year, now more recently it's like $300,000 a year. School district's been paying tax dollars to an outside organization called Just Communities, who has been basically um, teaching these white privilege workshops in our schools and basically Sorry. teaching. Uh, cut out a little bit. Um, what did you say? Said it again. They've basically been teaching these white, white privilege, privilege workshops workshop. in our schools and teaching the brown kids to hate the white kids. They basically are promoting the idea that um, America is nothing but a system of horrible oppression, you know, where white male, Christian, heterosexual, capitalist, able-bodied, uh, affluent people oppress everybody else. You know, if you're a, a woman, if you're brown, if you're gay, if you're disabled, if you're poor, um, you know, that you are being oppressed. Um, you know, so, and then at the same time, they're not providing uh, any help for the dys kids uh, suffering from dyslexia, uh, you know, the, the rate of reading and uh, math proficiency is really poor while they're spending just a ton of money on what I think is just, you know, just some real crap. So um, we put together a nonprofit called Fair Education Santa Barbara, and uh, we filed a lawsuit um, against the school district and against just communities, um, basically claiming that what they're doing is illegal in a number of ways. So that's been winding its way through the court system now for about a year. And how's it going? I mean, I know obviously lawsuits take time. Um, is there any progress or is there any idea as to how it might resolve itself? Well, I mean, basically just the fact that we've survived for a year indicates that we've been successful to a certain extent. Um, the other side has filed um, motion after motion trying to get rid of our suit. Uh, and our suit has not gone away. So now we're just waiting. Uh, our hearings have been postponed a couple times now because of the COVID crisis. The courts are closed, so things keep getting rescheduled and pushed back. But we're very hopeful that we're going to prevail. And we've really galvanized a large group of supporters in the community, of parents and taxpayers and teachers who've joined our coalition. And um, I think, you know, I, I think we're making progress. And is this a is this a special white privilege course that that's being taught in the elementary schools or middle schools or high schools or what? Well, most of it is taught to teachers, um, sort of like teacher training, where they want the teachers to uh, embrace this curriculum, and then that support supposed to basically be reflected by the teachers in their own classrooms in terms of how they teach and how they interact with the students. Some of the programs are targeted directly to students where um, it's really insidious. They're, it's like they're looking for basically at-risk kids that um, don't have strong role models at home where they can basically take these kids and brainwash them and um, turn them into advocates for their cause. So it's very insidious and it's really uh, un-American, I think. So can I just ask, I guess, outright, are you saying that you don't believe white privilege is real or it should be talked about? Or I'm just I'm just curious. Greg, let me just mention Harriet and I have this running battle on the podcast sometimes. And, and oh, so wow. 
conversation. I'll let you answer that, Harrod. I'll, I'll probably chime in at some some point too on that one. Well, but, that uh, oh, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, there there is to some extent something that you could consider, you know, white privilege or male privilege or affluent privilege. Um, but you know, the idea that the reason that I don't get shot um, driving my car home from you know, dinner or home from work, it's not because I'm white or male or Christian or capitalist. It's because I tend to drive my car appropriately. And if I do get pulled over, I'm like, you know, yes, sir. Um, you know, what may I help you with officer? And if I'm asked to show my driver's license, I'm cooperative. Um, you know, so, uh, I don't, I don't make any sudden moves or show disrespect. Um, you know, so maybe that's why I don't get shot driving my car, not because I'm white, but because I'm um, cooperative and respectful. You know, so so I I, I don't know. What, what do you what do you think, Harriet? Oh, I mean, I I firsthand have seen. I mean, I've seen the videos. I've I've heard stories. I've I've spoken with uh, people who are going to be bringing on the podcast in terms of police brutality. And I, I do understand what you're saying in the sense that I a hundred percent agree. You need to be taught how to interact politely with cops. You shouldn't be combative, but there was something, there's an advocate named Sean King, who I'm a big fan of. Um, and he talks about the Taylor Swift principle and pretty much any situation that you see that's being handled with unnecessary force. Like the man that was shot outside of a Walmart six days ago, having a mental health break by the cops. Um, he wasn't armed, you know, nothing, nothing like that. And, and he was shot point blank. Um, it, if that would have been Taylor Swift, it would have been handled very differently. I mean, it's, for example, when you see a school shooter, most likely school shooters are white. We rarely hear about school shooters being killed on site. Most of them are taken in alive for questioning. And, and, and that's strategic. There's a reason. Whereas you see someone pulled over when they're driving, it's oftentimes there's a lot of police brutality. I mean, we can see it with body cam, dash footage, and all that kind of stuff. And it's not to say police are inherently racist or anything along those lines. But, I mean, there there is, in my opinion, personally, systematic racism and oppression in this country. And I know for myself, I am treated very differently if I'm pulled over by a cop than even some of my really rich African-American friends that I went to high school with. Um, for example, I went to, to high school with a boy and his parents are very, very wealthy. I went to a very wealthy, uh, private school called Bishops. He was gifted a new Mercedes for his 16th birthday and he was driving it in La Jolla, was pulled over by the cops. Somebody saw him in the area driving what they assumed was a stolen car and he was pulled over and pretty much he was able to say, you know, officers, this is my car. But if I would have been driving that car, I wouldn't have been pulled over. Nobody would have called the cops on me and assumed I stole it. I guess part of this though, Harry, you get, you get, you know, look, you, you and I have talked about, um, you know, the white privilege doctrine. To me, I think it's where do you what do you want your society to be? Do you want it to be colorblind, as Martin Luther King said, where we're all not judged on the basis of our race or our creed, but on the content of our character? Or are you being taught babble garbage by somebody who who is a uh, I don't know a sociologist who has their own view and you're teaching little kids that they're bad I, I mean that that just because they are a certain person or a certain color they're bad Sorry. I think to to Greg's point on this one I, I don't want to speak for him but you know at the same time if we're shooting for a colorblind society 
which which I think that should be everybody's goal, that nobody, no little kid is going to be told they're right or they're wrong based on who they are or their color or their sexuality or, or the color of their hair or the color of their skin or their eyes. But then we've got this, you know, what I refer to as psycho babble, people coming in who are just as bad as the Klan. They're just as bad as as, you know, the Black Panthers who are blaming people, and especially little kids. Get the hell out of our schools if you're going to blame little kids. Take your stuff and put that up in the colleges and we'll fight you there. But, Greg, I think you're doing a hell of a good job fighting this stuff, you know. And, you know, what do you think, Greg? Well, I mean, thank you. I mean, resources, resources are scarce. We don't have unlimited resources. So I think we have to always be mindful of making the best use of, of scarce dollars. And to me, we should be making sure that every single kid, regardless of their background, regardless of the color of their skin, is able to maximize their potential. And in order to do that, the kids, you know, the elementary schools have to start with with the basics. They've got to learn to read and write. They've got to learn their math skills, because if they can't do that stuff, they're not going to progress uh, as they go through school. They're going to fall further behind. They're going to become frustrated. You know, they're probably going to be more likely to uh, get in trouble. Um, you know, but to be basically teaching kids to hate each other, to me, that's just not productive. That's not something that should be going on in our schools. Yeah, I'm sorry, Howard. You know, we cut you off there. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you were saying, of course, ideally, nobody should be told based on their skin color or, you know, sexual orientation that they're but it does exist out there. There are people that teach their kids to hate black people. There's people that teach their kids to hate people that look different from them. And there's people who go to church and are taught that homosexuality is a sin. And I mean, those people are told inherently that they're wrong. So for us to just kind of take that approach and of course it would be ideal if, if, you know, the color of your skin didn't matter and nobody cared who you loved, you know, regardless of their gender, but it's just not the reality of the world we live in. So until until we get to that point, if we can ever get there, it's just kind of like how do we how do we figure stuff out in the meantime? For sure. example, and I know something I wanted to address with Greg too. Um, when Dad, when you and I went and dressed up as Lady Liberty and uh, Uncle Sam at which what was the what was the event? The Republican it was the San Diego County Republican Party. It was the pre primary uh, event. Two thousand people there, Greg. All honest Republicans. No, no, no. But Dad, the booth that was next to us was a group of religious folk who were saying things like, you shouldn't vote for Carl DeMaio or support Carl DeMaio because he is gay. And that is what I wanted to ask in terms of, you know, Greg being an openly gay man in the Republican Party, not trying to pigeonhole you in any way, shape or form. But how do you respond? And obviously free speech. But when you see people out there making comments like that within your own party. Well, I mean, I just, I, my reaction to that is like, that's really stupid. You know, Carl's a great guy. Um, I would vote for Carl in a second. I've sent Carl money, uh, you know, many times over the years because I think he's got great ideas for California and for our country. He's been a great public servant. And uh, I think he's worthy of people's respect and admiration. So when I hear you saying that people are saying don't vote for Carl because he's gay, I'm thinking like, gosh, these people are really stupid. You know, and as far as the Republican Party overall, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, of, of at a minimum, tolerance, if not respect um, for gays in the Republican Party. I got elected, you know, I wasn't appointed to some vacancy or whatever. I was elected, you know, when I ran for regional vice chair, I was elected unanimously twice. And um, I had a pretty That's slim. Because you look like you're 38. 
Craig, you know, you, you're my age and you look like you're 38. So oh, that's I was going to say, there's a competition between Craig and Jim DeBello for best hair in the Republican Party. Well, Greg's there got very good hair. I, I, I mean, I Greg's in good shape. Greg, what, <laughs> what, what month were you born, Greg? What month was I born? Yeah, yeah. What month were you born? I was born in February. I'm a Pisces. Oh, okay. So you're you're older than me. So that's oh so my just, God. just, just older than me, Greg. <laughs> I feel a bit better now. No. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. no, no, wow. no, no. Greg, you know, let me ask you on that point. And and, and, and you know, uh, I don't know if you're a member of the, of the log cabin Republicans, but I you, am. You, you know, I'm actually I am actually a dues paying member, and I serve on well, the state board. So you, you know. We get, you know, it's sometimes it's bad enough getting bashed as a Republican. Then you get bashed as a gay Republican. I, I, I mean, is there any, you know, any special crap gay Republicans are taking right now? I, I, I mean, or I, I mean, Harriet and I thought about doing doing a commercial once where we had uh, we, we we had a couple people uh, uh, from the um, um, log cabin of Republicans, and they come home to their parents and they say, "Mom, Dad, guess what?" Uh, I have something to tell you. We're Republicans. And the parents go, oh, my God, Republicans, we're going to have to move. Please don't tell anybody. But, you, you know, so, so I guess the question, you know, is is it easier, you know, this is a weird question, but is it easier being gay in, in American society or to be a gay Republican? I, I don't know if that's a fair question, but. Um, I would say that there is an especially nasty sort of bigotry against gay Republicans. Um in the gay community in particular, it's, it's, um, you know, people will say stuff like, oh gosh, you know, that's like Jews for Hitler. You know, how can you be gay and Republican, you know? And after Trump got elected president, the intolerance got um, even worse. You know, we have been, when I say we, I mean, my husband and I, we've been basically uninvited to a lot of um, events that, you know, we used to always be invited to, you know, those annual Christmas parties, annual birthday parties, where we've always been invited sure. and included, you know, where, where somebody has, you know, all their gay friends over, we're not invited anymore. And that happened after um, Donald Trump was elected, you know, so the bigotry is real, the intolerance is real, but it's coming from the left and it's coming from the gays. It's not coming from the right, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know any Republicans that have unfriended me or uninvited me. Um, I know, I know, in fact, quite a few um, very evangelical uh, Republicans that you might think would be the type that would be intolerant. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just surprised to hear, you know, that, that those people said that about Carl DeMille, because I'm not finding that to be in, in my own personal experience. I'm just finding a lot of love. Uh, on the Republican side, and I'm finding a lot of hate from the gay left. Yeah, it's interesting. What do you think, Kyle? No, I mean, I, I obviously I can't speak as a, a gay Republican man, so I don't think I should have an opinion. Honestly, that's not my yeah, place. opinion. Anything, you know, but uh... well, I know I just, I, yeah, I mean, my only experience were some of the other Republican. I mean, cause obviously, I'm not as heavily involved, obviously, as either of you in the Republican Party. All I know is some of the people I've interacted with at some of the Republican events I have been a part of. Um, there was, you know, that one woman who you tried to connect me with to come on the podcast who told me that if I practiced yoga, it was going to unleash the devil in my spine. There were another couple of people, you know, that basically said about going to hell and, and God can change you and being pro conversion camps and all that kind of stuff. And I, obviously that's going to leave a negative taste in anyone's mouth. 
Um, what you got to realize, Harriet, as, as somebody once told me, the state, a state party chairman once told me, 20% of the people in politics are crazy. So, so there are people on every side of this who are nuts on every side. We get them. Democrats get them. Independents get them. Libertarians get them. And they're just crazy. No, I, I you know? so, Greg, um, is there, why do you think it is that it was after Trump elected that you feel like it increased? Well, you know, because that Trump derangement syndrome, you know, it's a pretty nasty virus that um, has infected a lot of people. So it's just made them do a lot of very strange things that they wouldn't otherwise do. And um, that's, you know, I think that's a lot of it is just it's the it's the TDS. You know? But hey, you know, I do yoga as well. I guess I'm kind of a, a little bit of a different Republican being a gay Republican, being a, a yogi, eating mostly vegetarian. I do eat um, a lot of fish because I, I do bodybuilding. Um, but maybe I'm just a little bit different than than a lot of Republicans. Oh, no, sorry, just talking to that, obviously, following up on that, I think that's super interesting. I actually did my yoga teacher training. Um, didn't finish it yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to at some point. So my dad and I have been super into yoga for a really long time. Um, one thing that did come up as well with some of my more Republican friends is the idea that you can't be a Republican, a Christian, and do yoga, which I thought was interesting. Um, there's actually a subsect of yoga called, oh, goodness, what's it called? It's not called yoga for Christ. It's called like faith-based yoga or something along those lines. Um, how do you view, I guess, when you hear about that kind of stuff, I know, you know, the Republican party is considered the uh, party of family values. It is, you know, based in Christian faith. How do you see it as, as being, in your opinion, ideally linked? Like, should there be a separation of church and state? Should there be prayers at Republican meetings? Do you feel like people have the, you know, should people be able to ask you about your faith openly at Republican meetings? Um, I know Donald Trump, for example, was asked, you know, what was his favorite Bible verse? And he said, all of them. So I'm just kind of curious your opinion about how religion and politics have been linked within maybe the Republican Party, for example. I see the Republican Party as being a very big tent party uh, where there's room for all kinds of people. I don't think you need to be a Christian be a Republican. I consider myself to be a Christian. Um, you know, I, I think to me, the Republican Party is, is a party where if you basically believe uh, in free enterprise, if you believe um, in more freedom, if you think that um, government should be limited, um, you know, to, to the, the smallest government is, is better than, than bigger government. If you believe in personal responsibility, then I think you know, there's there's a place for you in the Republican Party. Um, but, you know, some Republicans are pro-choice, some are pro-life. Um, not everybody um, is pro-gun in the Republican Party or, you know, pro-Second Amendment. So I think there's there's quite a lot of room for a lot of different ideas. And um, I think it's important to be tolerant, to be respectful of people and to be welcoming uh, I, I know some people in the Republican Party who don't want big tent. They want to have a litmus test, and they think there's only certain kinds of people that should be allowed in. And, and you know, I, I very strongly disagree. I think that's not a good strategy for building the party. And, and again, I, I like to be wel welcoming and inclusive of people. Hey, Greg. So the the um, California State Republican Party and and you know Republican Party you know in California overall. Well, you know, how do you, you know, how can we 
change it or how can we make it better? How can we capture more of the vote in the state and be more relevant again? I mean, do you have maybe a list of a couple of a couple of things we can do? You know, one of the things which just keeps um, keeps bugging me is 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 that sometimes people in our party will say we're not a debating society. We don't want to have like a contract with California or anything else. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm I'm thinking, you know, do people really know what we stand for in the state? So what do you think? I, I mean, do we need to redefine ourselves or define ourselves or to mass market out there or what? Well, I think we need to go outside of our own comfort zones and bring our bring ourselves and our ideas into some places where we don't always go and um, try to meet people and connect with people that we wouldn't otherwise connect with. And I think we need to focus on solving problems, um, you know, because California's got a lot of problems. Um, like one problem we have right now is this AB5 law, where people well, who would like to be independent contractors um, are being told that they can't be uh, uh, independent contractors. They must be employees. And there are businesses who don't want to have employees, um, but want to have independent contractors are being told that they're not allowed to do that. You know, so as a result, um, businesses are doing less well and workers are being denied opportunities to work. So, you know, that's something that has been foisted upon California by the Democrat controlled legislature and governor. And it's something that Republicans are very adamantly opposed to. We're, we were opposed to it before the law passed. We knew it was a bad law. So now um, a lot of people are finding out just how bad it is. And I think that's an opportunity for Republicans to push back and to teach people what we believe and why we believe it and, and how our ideas can actually improve society, make life better for people. Fair enough. Uh, hey, you know, so... Five is a nightmare. Sorry, even spe yeah. just speaking as a Democrat, it's not good for anybody. I'm an independent contractor. Well, I, I've talked to Nathan. I've, I've met, I, not directly, but I've messaged him a bunch about this and tried to engage him in conversation along with his wife about why. Nathan Fletcher, right? Yeah, Nathan Fletcher. And it's just, I understand the, um, the, the idea behind it, you know, in a sense, if we could make it I ideal. Um, but it just, it ends up screwing everybody over personally, pardon my language, but yeah, to totally agree. Yeah. See, Harriet, I think there's hope for you. I think we have room for you in the Republican party because <laughs> I, yeah, think, I, think, I think you and I actually believe in a lot of the same things. Yeah. Harriet, I yeah. told Greg one of the things that I, you, you're sort of like a, a what would you call it? You, you know, you want social programs, but you choose too cheap to pay for them. But no, I mean, I actually, I did a lot of singing. I'm a singer. And so I used to sing the national anthem and God bless the USA and stuff at a lot of Republican events. Um, I actually sang. You slipped out of our clutches, Greg. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I sang Harry. We went to George Bush's book signing together. My dad and I, we stood in line to get GW's signature for his autobiography. I feel like it was maybe just a bad breakup with a Republican man that might have turned me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I, well, I understand. And, and I, I, yes, it was the devil. It was unleashed during Shasana. No, I, I think, Greg, what you're saying, I think um, what you said was so important. And I'm so glad you feel that way about the Republican Party needing to welcome in 
all different kinds of people. Um, because that was one of my main things that I, I was getting frustrated with because I would see my dad go to these meetings and it felt like there was very much, and I'm not saying there isn't the Democratic Party, but just speaking about the Republican Party, there's like a, a, a group think in a sense, this kind of group mentality of a Republican has to look like this or be like this in order to be a true Republican. Like you can't disagree with Donald Trump or else you're considered not being loyal to your party or something along those lines. And I just, that, that frustrated me because like you said, like I did consider myself a Republican for a very, very long time, but it felt like you almost got shoved out if you didn't comply with a mold. And I know my dad said the same thing about that's why he left the Democrat party. So yeah. I think that about inclusivity is, is, is awesome. Yeah. Cool. You know, Greg, Greg, you know, Gavin Newsom, we're always bashing Gavin Newsom on this show. Harris yeah, even bashed exactly. him, except for his hair. His, his, he's got good hair. And, you know, but, but, you know, if you had something to say to Gavin right now or a couple of things to say, what would you say? How, how do we make this all better? I, I mean, look, Gavin's, I mean, Gavin, that's, that's saying both. Gavin is dealing with COVID-19 right now. So is he doing a good job or what, what do you think right now? I can hardly stand to watch um, his press releases. There's something about Gavin that just really bugs me the way he talks and the way he emotes is just really really bugs me i mean i don't know do he do uh gavin and and his um aunt nancy do they actually like buy their botox in bulk from the same dealer i don't i don't know what they do but um they both have that that weird look on their face but no i mean i i think we've got some serious problems in california and you can't blame them all on gavin but he's certainly part of it because he signs a lot of this bad legislation you know when jerry brown was governor jerry brown vetoed a lot of the bad legislation so that things wouldn't have gone as far to the left as they have under gavin you know like we we um you know still face i think water shortages we have horrible homeless problems uh our streets and freeways are in a horrible state of disrepair uh, our schools are failing a lot of our kids. Housing is extremely expensive and, um, you know, out of reach. Homeownership is is definitely out of reach for huge segments of California society. You know, so those are problems that I think need to be addressed. And Republicans have great ideas for solving all of those things. And the Democrats seem to be so out of touch with um, reality. And, and they just keep coming up with crazier and crazier ideas, like, you know, the latest ideas that they're going to mandate a 25% rent reduction. You know, it's like, well, does anybody ever think like, well, what happens next? And then what happens after that? You know, because you've got to be able to think beyond the tip of your nose if you're actually going to be a good leader. And the left just seems so unrealistic and out of touch with how life actually works, you know, with these ideas, these crazy um, legislative uh, agendas that they've got. You know, one of the things I've always said is that California needs less, I don't know, less legislators and more CPAs. CPAs are going to tell us where the hell we've gone wrong. They're going to, they're going to you know, tell us where all the money's spent. I mean, you know, what do you think? Are CPAs set to rescue California? Well, I just think that we have to think ahead. It's kind of like a chess game. When you pass legislation, you've got to think about, the various consequences, both intended and unintended. You know, when you make it harder for landlords to evict tenants, then landlords become choosier. Um, I manage um, some rental properties, and I can tell you that I will not rent to anybody whose FICO score is less than 720. You know, why is that? It's like, well, because the cost of evicting 
people is too high. So I want to make sure that the tenants that I rent to are going to pay the rent and follow the rules because I don't want to ever have to throw them out. So I can't take a chance on somebody who has less than a stellar record because it's too expensive to do that. Um, you know, the whole eviction process is extremely expensive and very lengthy. And the court system uh, in Ventura, where I own rentals, has what's called a fee schedule. So if I have to pay an attorney $4,000 or $5,000 to get a bad tenant out, the court only allows me to collect about $1,100, no matter how much I pay the attorney. You know, so I can't afford to be evicting people because the tenant is never going to pay the cost of the eviction. I mean, I make a good point, Greg, on this one is that, you know, I know in the 80s when Reagan first came in, they, they you know, had something which we put on the, on the back of every regulation or on the bottom of every regulation, how long it would take to either read or comply with. It's almost like, you know, IRS forms and that this form should take you two minutes to, you know, you know, two hours to fill out or something. I mean, maybe that's where we need to, uh, uh, I mean, go is to have an efficiency, you, you know, you know, efficiency criteria for legislation and for, you know, I mean, government business. I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, is that what's missing from California? You know, is, is it, I mean, is that what's missing here? Is, you know, we've, we've had one party rule for so long. Well, people just need to think ahead. Um, they need to consider what all the different consequences are. I think really the biggest sin of the left is um, just a lot of wishful thinking. We've got too many lawyers um, in the legislature and too many people who've never worked uh, as entrepreneurs. They've got little private sector experience. They have too much government sector experience. And I think that's why um, this legislation that gets passed just really doesn't doesn't work out very well. How are you doing with the coronavirus right now? You know, is President Trump and Gavin Newsom, are they right to, you know, to uh, uh, have us all stay in in that? Or what do you think? Where's this going? It seems like there's a, you know, some states are having this, this uh, you know, coming out parties right now or something. But where do you think we are? And I think we're, you know, do, you, do we see a light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, is my question. I would like to see things get back to normal soon. Um, you know, I live in a small town uh, in Santa Barbara County. I live in Carpinteria, and our rate of infection is pretty low. And I don't personally know anybody uh, who has become seriously ill from the virus. But, you know, there are people, particularly in, in big cities like New York, where you've got a lot of people sick and dying. You know, so this is real. This is this is very real. Um but I think there also are a lot of really sad and negative consequences from destroying our economy. You know, when people cannot work, they cannot put food on the table, they can't pay their rent or their mortgage. You know, that's that's really sad, too. And um, when you have a society that's not prosperous, the um, the rates of illnesses and suicides goes up when people cannot afford healthy food or medical care. You know, so eventually... Our whole society is going to fall apart if we continue these quarantines. So we have to open things back up uh, as, you know, as we can to the extent we can. And, um, you know, fundamentally, it's, it's our individual right to decide for ourselves 
whether or not we want to leave the house, whether or not we want to go back to work, whether or not we want to open our business to the public. You know, so I think government should try to stay out of the way to the largest extent possible, while at the same time um, trying to provide some very essential services that our society needs to, to keep law and order and to uh, provide for the public health, to make sure that testing is available and um, the personal protective equipment is available for our healthcare workers. Um, but people do need to get back to work. And I think a lot of places, particularly um, more rural areas where there's a lot of space, I think it's probably more realistic for people to um, be able to start to, to get back to normal sooner rather than later. Okay. Aaron, any, any, any more questions for, for, for Greg here or what do you think? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I guess one of my main questions is, is I understand hundred percent what you're saying, um, about the, you know, it's our right to get back to work and our, our need to get back to work. But what do you think? Who, who was it that we had on? It was a Republican. I'm trying to think. I apologize. Um, for people that are saying that they're trying to prioritize the economy and that, you know, they're pretty sure that uh, some grandparents would be willing to die in order to preserve the economy for their grandkids' futures and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what do you think? I mean, can we ever really value human life, you know, or value money more so than human life? Like that, that's kind of, I guess, what I'm struggling with that narrative. Yeah. Um, like how do we balance? Well, you know, that's, I think, where the freedom comes in is, is that I don't have a right to decide that um, somebody's going to die because I want to go make money. That's not, that's not a right that I have. Um, and I, I don't think it's one size fits all either. And I don't think that we benefit from a top-down um, totalitarian uh, approach to it either. You know, I think there's a role for the federal government to play. There's a role for state governments. There's a role for county public health agencies, um, you know, but we, we've got to have our freedom given back to us so that we can decide um, how we want to live our lives. And, and I, I don't think that it's mutually exclusive. I don't think that it's completely one or the other. Um, I think there that we can gradually um, make progress towards going back to a new normal. For sure. No, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to, to talk about things that I know a lot of other people would rather not because it's, you know, uncomfortable or whatever it may be. But I, I really, really appreciate your willingness to be open and, and talk about stuff. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on. I, I know my dad's always spoken super, super highly of you. Um, it's a great photo. I, I think it was his profile photo for a while, the two of you together after you both uh, won. So very happy. Both of us are very happy. So, so that would yeah. be a good thing. And, uh, and I'm proud to serve with Greg and the others on the, on the board for the uh, California state party. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a good group of people and, and, you know, it's always tough hurting cats, but, uh, uh, you know, my job's really easy. I take notes. Greg's got the harder ones. He's got to make sure that all the finances add up and that we, you know, you know, we have the money to do what we say we're going to do. So Greg, my hat's off to you, my friend. Okay. Well, Stay thank safe you, Randy, and, and, thank, and you. thank you, Harriet. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on on your show, and um, I'd like to hear more about Harriet's ideas and and her values and goals too. I'm I, I'm very interested in learning more about you, Harriet. We'll have to have you on the podcast again for sure, because I'd, I'd love to talk about that. That's awesome, and and thank you for being open and willing to have open conversations. It, it, I think that's what makes America great, you know. Absolutely. Oh, great. Thank you very much. 
And uh, all the best. And listeners, uh, thank you again. And uh, Harriet and I will be back soon. Bye.